Hey everybody, Tim Harrison, Straight Up Mortgage Talk. Today, we're gonna to talk about how to make money by investing in real estate, stocks and bonds. We're talking to my brother, who's a Ameriprise financial planner, and we're gonna do a little bit of comparison between buying real estate and buying stocks and bonds to build wealth. Looking forward to it, let's get started. Philip Harrison, my bro, super excited to have you on here. And I just wanted to, I want to ask you some questions because you've been a financial planner. You're my financial planner for 25, you know, 30 years now. And I've actually done pretty well with, you know, saving investments and stocks and bonds. But as you know, I've done sort of quite a bit of real estate investment. And then you started sort of during the last downturn, nine, 10, uh, buying real estate. And one of the questions I have is with real estate investments as compared to financial investment stocks, bonds, the kinds of things you normally handle, um, what do you see as sort of the, the reward, the difference in liquidity and risk, financial products versus real estate? Yeah, so that's a great question. Great to see you, bro. Um, great to see you. You know, there's, um, it's nice to have diversification, right? And so in all investments, every single investment has a pro and a con. Um, and so I like diversification because, you know, it's known as the only free lunch in investing. Um, and so if you think about, um, you know, stocks and bonds and that sort of deal, they have lots of advantages in terms of liquidity. Um, you can sell your stocks any day and, you know, uh, spend the money. Um, you know, you can, um, you know, move it around pretty easily, right? So if you decide, oh, I, I love this stock. Now I hate it. I want to move on to another one. It's pretty easy to do that, especially with low transaction cost. So if you, you know, with your uh, specialty um, with real estate, the beauty about real estate as an investment, in my opinion, is leverage. Um, because that you can't get, at least I, I don't suggest people do leverage on stocks that you can, people will margin stocks. But for real estate, it's so compelling because, you know, you can put, you know, 20% down on a half million dollar property. And so that 20% down is a hundred grand that you've put down. But what you control is a half a million dollar asset. So if that half million dollar asset goes up 10%, you've effectively doubled your money, right? Because you only put a hundred thousand in, it's gone up by a hundred thousand. That's exciting stuff. Um, it also has some, some advantages. It'll, it'll real estate you know, might go up as a real asset compared to other investments. Um, as, as they're struggling, you can have real estate do well. Um, you know, and I, I specialize in retirement transition planning for a lot of clients. And I, I like real estate as part of the income streams uh, in retirement to go along with social security, pension, money from an investment portfolio. So, um, you know, the, the timing aspect is really important with real estate, but in general, it's a fantastic investment. And the drag is liquidity. Right. You can't, it's not like a stock or bond that you can sell any day. You know, you really have to be thoughtful about that. Right. So, for example, just summarize office, you know, two L's, leverage is the big plus. You put a hundred grand in and have 500,000 in the market. You can't really do that in stocks. So, your right. return is based on the larger money. And of course, on an investment property, somebody else is paying your loan off. Right. So, that, that's, the, that's the, the leverage, which is great. 
right? But then, but then you have the liquidity, the other L, which is the bad part of that, which is it's fairly expensive as compared to going and selling a stock or something. You know, you're going to probably pay five to six percent to sell that real estate investment. So it really has to be that longer term investment, something that, and of course, the markets can fluctuate just like stocks and bonds. So the two L's, leverage is awesome, right? but liquidity is not good. And that's the main thing that you're going to have to remember with real estate investments. So awesome. So you bought some personal properties I talked about as far as investment properties, right? And we won't even talk about how well you did on your primary residence, but you bought some investment properties kind of down the downturn, like you said, timing 9, 10, 11. How have those worked out for you? I mean, because I know you're a real analytical guy. And when I talk about how, how it worked out, you like, what are some of the surprises come to mind? Like returns, dealing with renters, how much money you made based on the leverage, you know, all the sort of full scope of, you never had done this before. What are some of those the sort of surprises and things that sort of in retrospect, you kind of go, this is a really big pros. And then here's kind of like the things that, what a pain I got to call from a plumber, you know, that I got a plumbing issue, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Real world so, from Philip Harrison. All right. So I would say that the, you know, my uh, timing was incredibly lucky. I mean, I, I just couldn't have been luckier in terms of when I bought them um, and that they did well. well I'm going to time you out right there, bro, because you weren't lucky. You were extremely strategic. And this is the one thing I learned in my finance class is that you invest when nobody else wants to invest. Everybody's talking about the stock market is time to maybe think about getting out. And when nobody wants to buy real estate, you bought real estate. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to check you and give you a little bit more credit for being a little smarter See, than giving That's yourself. why I got the world's best big bro, right? right? Just step I mean, in come on in, now. Just you were strategic oh, on your goodness. timing, brother. Like, you know, that's why that that's every success is because my big brother talked about you talked about how great I am. Thank you, bro. Yeah. So, so it was, it was just, you know, really lucky uh, in terms of, you know, that I was in a position to buy uh, when real estate was so far down. And I was kind of, you know, through the Great Recession, which was tough for all of us, right? I mean, I was, you know, worried like everybody else through that period. But at the same time, I was trying to squirrel away money and build a war chest of, of cash for when it was time to buy. And so, um, and so then I started to see, you know, the market was per perking up, you know, or it felt like it was bottom in like 2012, 2013. So, so, you know, and then there's a mad scramble to buy because everyone started, you know, they, it's like a, they flipped a switch from, you know, foreclosure heaven to, um, to, you know, now it's really time to buy. And so, so anyway, so I got really lucky with the timing and they've done, they've done great. Um, and, you know, it's also nice about um, real estate is, you know, eventually people move out or you raise the rents and all of a sudden you have a fixed cost from a, a mortgage standpoint, but your, your, uh, your rents go up. And so all of a sudden your, your income uh, goes up and that's, that's kind of a, a fun process that was, you know, I didn't really think about in advance, but that's played out really well. Um, you know, and there's certainly um, some more work involved, right? I mean, if no one calls me, you know, if I own, let's say, Coca-Cola stock, right? No one calls me and says, hey, we got a problem with the bottling factory. You know, <laughs> there's, there's right? something wrong with the Coke formula, right? No one's calling me. They're going to deal with that. So, but, but on the house, you know, and I'll just, you know, just make it very real. I had a guy last year die in one of my rentals, right? So Sorry, I'm laughing. So, I'm a sick brother. <laughs> right. And, you know, may you rest in peace. I mean, I, I, he, he was a great tenant. And so it was just like, 
holy crap. Okay. So I'm dealing with this and you know, the mom's calling me and you know, the, the roommates uh, calling me cause he had, he shared the property with the guy and he's like, yeah, you know, so, so-and-so died. I'm like, wait, what? Um, and then there was, you know, they, so, so there was rumor that maybe, you know, there was guns, the properly and maybe, you know, did he, did he not? I mean, it's like, okay, wow. I did not know I signed up for this, but, and so then like, you know, within a day I'm up there and we're having, you know, kind of this, uh, impromptu memorial for him at the house. Right. And so, you know, and, and then I'm dealing with, okay, now I have to read up on real estate law and what are you supposed to do if someone dies in the property? Right. Cause you're certain. Oh, for the next renter. Yeah, there's certain right, legal requir yeah. requirements. So yeah, so those are just things that you know never happen when I you know bought my you know Google stock, right? So you know <laughs> they're handling stuff. So anyway, so yeah, so that and and then it's like holy crap, you know the, the property needed a little bit of love because um, you know things had gone down worse than I expected, and and I learned something there that you really do need to go you know, look at the property every six months and walk in and talk with the people. And of course, you know, this was pre-COVID. So I, I should have been doing that every six months. And I, I did it basically when I needed a new renter. Right. And so, right. Yeah. yeah. Right. So I'm going to tell you something I've learned as a little hot tip, hot tip from big bro. Right. Okay. I have my air conditioning guy go on the property and change the filter twice a year. Nice. And he reports to me, like, if maybe they're not taking great care of the property. So one, I keep yes. my air conditioning and heating stuff. I pay for it, but I make sure that stays longer and better maintained. And I get a little glimpse on like, hey, yeah, they're not like doing something on the property. Yeah, there, there's so, there's rat holes uh, from right. the wall. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I've had that. That was surprising. So in tune of investments, not to get too personal, but you bought like three or four properties. And I remember you saying, yeah, my, my, my return on investment, when I think about leverage and what they would sell for right now, even after if I paid real estate costs and everything is like unreal with real estate. And coming from a financial planner, that's why I wanted to have you on here is that, yeah, it's a lot to manage. Yeah, you're you know, maybe going to go to a memorial you didn't expect or deal with stuff. And, you and it's not for the faint of heart, right? So we know that. And that has to be something that people really have to understand is that you are hands in dirty versus stocks, bonds, and things like that. And that's why a lot of people, like, I don't care what the return's on. I don't want to be in, be like a landlord and dealing with this stuff. But if you're the kind of person like us where people just love us because we're such great guys, you know, Harrison bros and all, and you can deal with people and you have all that. But what kind of like, you know, you kind of ran some numbers at one point in time. And I don't know if you ran an actual return on investment or you have just kind of a rough estimate. Obviously, you bought at the right time. But your return on investment isn't even including the fact that your renters are actually paying down your mortgage, which to me is one of the biggest things to think about when you're talking about stocks and bonds is not only do you have $500,000 and you put a into the market, right? You put $100,000 into it, but that hundred, but the $400,000 debt, the part that you're leveraging, somebody else is paying off, right? Yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah. and I don't even know how to calculate that portion of the return on investment, but just based on appreciation um, and whatnot, what are you kind of seeing as a rough number over the last, what, 10 years now? Yeah. And so it's, yeah, it's about 10 years and, you know, again, stupid lucky, right? So <laughs> bought one property at 350 and it's now worth 800. Like that's just, you can't tell me that's not quite a bit lucky. So so, and you know, what did I put down for that property? So 350, I put 25% down. 
Um, so that's uh, 87,500, right? And so that's like, I mean, you can call it, you know, a that's 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 a pretty good return like you can't you, you can't you can't really beat it's over 100 percent, right i'm oh, it's it's well it's a lot more than that uh but well not 100 percent, but but annualized right so we got yeah, i mean we got to look at the years yeah i mean if you you know and then you got to back out you know real estate costs that type of thing to sell it but but right. if we did that quick math you know you could say um you know that's that's just a, a stupid amount of return. It's just, you know, and so I don't want to really put the numbers out there, but I can easily calculate it and you can too at home. But, um, but you know, basically you, that would take a long time in a really terrific stock now. And, um, you know, and we're really happy if a stock goes up, you know, three times, four times uh, uh, what we paid for it, right? And that's basically what you're looking at is, you know, like a if it goes up five times, that's a five bagger. That's that's a really good return. And so this is the type of level you're talking about a five bagger in terms of, um, you know, returns if, or, or higher if you were to sell it. So, um, so, so yeah, so that that works out really well. And the other thing, other thing I should man- mention is, you know, a lot of clients do not like being a landlord, so they'll hire a property manager and they'll pay the money to yeah. not have the hassle. And at some point, you know that. That makes great sense for for people who say, "Look, I've got this great rental I've had for years. My property taxes on it are really low. I don't want to sell it. I'd have to pay, you know, gains on it. Um, but I'm sick of, you know, so I'm sick of dealing with tenants. And so, you know, you get a good property manager, and yes, you're going to pay them, but but they earn their keep, and they typically have a network of helpers, right? So, in other words, they they know the plumbing person to call. They know the you know the roofer to call, and it's kind of, you know, yes." You know, you, you, there's some interaction with the property manager, but but you can certainly manage a property pretty easily and not have too much um, of your own time and, and involvement in in continuing continuing to earn likely a good return off that. Right. And you know, if right now, you know, I, I think that um, real estate prices have come up quite a bit, and so buying now becomes a little bit trickier. They're they're not going to cash flow as well. However, you know, if you look at your your yield off the investment. You know, just like you can look at a yield on a bond or dividends off stocks, you can say, okay, I'm, I'm probably going to earn, um, you know, a yield of about 3% per year off of that real estate investment if hypothetically I were able to pay cash for it. Okay. But in addition to that, you're probably going to get some appreciation, right? So that appreciation, you know, in California is probably run at least 3%, and that's being cautious or defensive uh, with that number. So you put those two together, you have a 6% returner, right? And so, and that's, that's, it's in most scenarios, it's higher than that because the realtors listening to this will be probably losing their minds saying, no, it's really 5% in Southern California annual average uh, growth in, in real estate, especially recently. Um, so, you know, you could argue, okay, well, that's really more of an 8% returner um, in right. terms of appreciation so actually, and yield. Right. So, actually, New York and California have the highest rate of return on in real estate investments. They also happen to have the highest volatility. And so that's when I tell people, look, you got to be really ready to hold this long term. You can't really be thinking short term on this kind of stuff because you might have to go through a downturn where your property is not worth what you bought it for. But 10, 20 years from now, you're going to you're going to win. There's a lot of people who, you know, bailed out of investment properties in 2010, 11, had they held on to them now and cash flowed them which I did on some that were, you know, obviously not the greatest buys at the time, but now it's paid off. Of course, 10, 12 years later, the returns are back up there. 
Again, so this, this is where I'm gonna go back to something that is right up your alley in the financial planning part in that is, you talked about, hey, and this is the most important part. So when I write the book with your, with your godson, Sean, right? My, my son, and it says it, it in my next book, so I have the straight up mortgage talk about for, you know, buying real estate, you know, doing loans and all that stuff. The next one's going to be, it takes a generation. Mm-hmm. And it takes a generation, is it? It takes like 30 years to pay off this investment property and create cash flow for your family for next generations of generations. But one of the, the absolute starting point in the first part of that chapter is going to be what you talked about. And it was being in a position to buy when the timing was right. At some point in time, we're going to have a fluctuation in real estate market and prices are going to be lower than they are now or potentially not as high or going up as quickly, right? So the fact of the matter is it's being ready to buy when nobody else wants to buy, when the foreclosures are happening, when the market, you know, re- economies go through recession. Yep. The number one thing I'm going to start my book with, and I want you to just kind of comment on it because you already did in a way, is that putting yourself into position, living below your means regardless of whether it's real estate or it's financial investments is the only real way to create wealth unless you know come up with you know Google or you know Amazon or something right but right. 99% of us living beyond our means is probably the most important factor to ever being able to buy real estate or create wealth 401k's whatever you have to live beyond can you comment a little bit about that yeah for sure i mean that's the first domino right is to be able to you know, set aside money, that set aside money automatically means you're not spending all that you could, right? So you're foregoing the joy of, of, you know, spending today to build wealth to spend tomorrow, right? And, or pass on as, as you wish, but, um, but, and that's critical. And uh, it's not only, you know, and so that means, you know, save into your 401k, it means, you know, squirrel aside money for the next real estate purchase. Um, it also means periodically taking profits on things, right? And so if, if things feel really rich uh, in, in various investments, it's, it's okay to take some profits and set aside. Don't sell it all, right? Because who knows, it, it could keep going. But, but just put aside some in, you know, for the next downturn. And, and you know, here's, uh, let's say, just Warren Buffett, one of the best investors in the world, stock uh, investors. And... Um, you know, right now, if you look at Berkshire Hathaway, his holding company, he's sitting on like $140 billion worth of cash, right? And, and some people are upset with that saying, gee, he could be out there earning higher rates of return. And, but Warren says, you know, absolutely. However, I want to have dry powder when things come down. So, so that, so he's invested at 80% of his, his money is invested, 20% is set aside for the next downturn. So that's the two components. You know, they're kind of separate in a way. Is one is, you know, spend less than you make so you can save. And the second is in the investment uh, area specifically, you know, it's okay to hold some cash periodically um, and wait for the next downturn uh, to, to benefit from. Hey. So this is the guy that, you know, flies coach. I don't believe in his philosophy 100%. Drives cars. I do believe in driving cars for 10 and plus years because that $500 a month that could be going to a payment can go to my retirement account. You're my financial planner. You know, that's how I do things, right? Right. That's all good, right? But it's about he purposely spends less, lives well below his means so that he can save. And that is just such a, 
key, key deal, right? Just knowing like, hey, so I got the last question for the financial planner because I'm hoping to get some young people. Like the young people start buying now. Right. All right. Let's address it, man. Reddit. Why aren't we all buying Bitcoin and GameStop? Because people at the younger age think getting rich is like something that can happen fast. And from somebody who's built some wealth, both you and I have done that over the years. I don't think it happens fast. And you deal with a lot of wealthy clients. So I'm going to plug you. But right now, you sort of take on people who are um, basically have a million dollars or more to invest. And then your team handles below that, which we'll get to at the end. But you've got a lot of people who have created wealth over time. What percentage of those people, so you can address the GameStop and all that, and what percentage of these wealthy people where you see like it happened overnight, like it was a fast thing? Yeah, so I think the only time that's really <laughs> happened is, you know, when when they had stock options, you know, in a company that just went crazy, right? So locally in San Diego, that's Qualcomm, Um you know, but certainly there's plenty of clients, you know, that just had a great win at Google or Apple or that type of thing. So, so, so that's some pretty fast wealth, but they also did a lot to get to in that position. But when you say fast wealth, that's like a five or 10 years, and they still had to live below their means to invest in that stock in the first place, right? Well, for sure. So, but stock, stock yeah. options were given to them by the company. So, so Correct. that's kind of nice. What's nice if, you know, as an employee, uh, if you can, you know, if you can have your salary plus have stock options, right, then you're kind of getting the best of both worlds because you're putting food on the table today. But if those stock options do well, you can make a lot of money that way. But if you don't have that that situation, then yeah, then it's the old school way of save your money, invest it wisely and grow. And, you know, um, you know, and I think all of us, each generation has their own bubble to participate in. Right. So when I was, you know, coming up, uh, there was the the tech bubble of, of you know, that was just the, the 90s was crazy where, you know, companies pets.com was, you know, had this massive valuation, but zero earnings and they weren't really sure how to make money yet. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and so you had this tech bubble where it was just crazy and that it went, you know, from just from 95 till, you know, March of 2000, where the tech area just went crazy and it's all people talk about people i remember the time people were selling anything that wasn't tech to go into tech um and just at the wrong times of course because but but how can you help it you know it was it was just so crazy what happened after that when the tech bubble popped so march of 2000 the, the tech bubble pops the nasdaq 100 which is just chock full of tech companies fell 85 percent from the very peak to the very bottom and so that generation, including some of us who thought, wow, this is really easy. You know, this technology stuff is obviously the wave of the future. So we're just going to forever make money. That was really a sobering eye opener. Like, oh, OK, wait, it's not that easy. Um, and I, I suspect that there's going to be people who, you know, have done great with GameStop or, you know, uh, AMG. I mean, uh, the, the uh, movie AMC. theater chains, AMC, sorry, uh, you know, who've done great. I mean, that's awesome. Um, and yet it's probably not sustainable. You know, Bitcoin is a whole different enchilada. I don't know. That's a, like a lottery ticket to me, right? So either you're going right. to make a lot of money, or you're going to lose it. So my, right. my, um, my thing on Bitcoin is only invest what you're willing to lose, but it may turn out to be great. So I don't, you know, that, that's right. like an, an open question. But, but I guess, you know, at the end of the day, um, it's, uh, you know, it does take time typically to, to build uh, substantial wealth. And it's like, you know, I think about my clients who, 
you know, have built uh, substantial portfolios, even then you have the savers and the spenders. So I'll give you an example. I read these articles. They say, hey, you need $5 million before you even think about retiring, right? And, you know, and so, and so people will come to me and go, oh my gosh, you know, is that true? And it depends because I have a client who actually a Qualcomm millionaire and she retired like age 50 on let's say a million, million and a half, but she spends really frugally, right? right Paid off right. the house, spends, spends really frugally. I have other clients with me that have $10 million and they overspend <laughs> on, on the 10 million. So, cause you know, they, they're just, they're just, you know, high livers and lots of travel, lots of, Hey, we, we vacationed here. We found this property. We like, so we're thinking about buying that. Oh, we got a new car. So, so they actually overspend against the 10 million. So it really, it's so individual in terms of, you know, are you a saver? Are you a spender? Even after you've built your money. Um, right. And I'm, I'm not convinced that the person who spends more is happier. Oh yeah, right. without a doubt, right? Right. Because a so, so, little yeah. bit lack of security or whatever else, which which goes back to the whole conversation of if you're going to invest long term or you're going to keep your money, it's always about living under your means or living very comfortably. Obviously, somebody with ten million dollars has a lot more to spend than somebody with a million dollars, but it's still like I've got clients that make a ton of money, but based on all the cars they want to drive and everything else they have honestly not put that much into savings compared to people who make half as much and have created wealth just because again, they live within their means. And guess what? By the time they live below their means, actually they can buy real estate and they can do these other things. So yeah. I'm gonna finish this up that diversification, both in real estate, stocks, bonds, probably one of the best places most people, the average person can save is in 401ks and start putting that money away. I'm sure you handle a lot of that rollover 401k money for people when they retire and such. Um, and then, you know, real estate liquidity is an issue, but leverage is a big win as compared to other financial stocks. And why you want to save in both is because you need the liquidity and stocks and bonds and things like that, that you might need to get out in case something happens in your life, like a job loss or whatever. But also if you can get into real estate and have the stomach for it, you can really take a care, take advantage of leverage, which can get you some pretty great returns in the long run. So man, Philip, my brother is a fantastic guy, by the way super happy to have him as my financial planner. Anybody that uh, wants to, to sort of look at investing and, and on the stocks and bonds, and obviously it's a very important uh, portion of their financial building. Uh, how do they get hold of you? Sort of how do you handle it? How do you work with your team? Because I know you have a team like I do. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's kind of a direct contact uh, situation um, is, you know, people will either email me um, at philip dot uh, m.harrison at ampf.com or just call me directly on my cell, which is 858 602 2754. Um, and even if I'm not able to help you, you know, I'll typically do, you know, a pro bono, um, you know, conversation of, of, hey, you know, here's some things you might want to think about. Um, or, uh, or there's, uh, you know, team members um, who are, you know, um, who are you know looking to to add clients and um, and you know and we we all work as a team so either way we 
you know, love helping people. Um, and this is an area that we just have a lot of joy and passion around in terms of uh, the work we do. We really feel great about it. So, um, so yeah, so that's it. Awesome. So my brother, one of the best people in the world, and it's a good thing he worked pro bono back in the day because my wife and I had absolutely no money when we started with him. Uh, but he told me, I'll just give you a little story. My brother says, Tim, you know what? He did put the whole financial plan together so that I could put my, hopefully put my son through school, Sean, who was born at the time. He was like probably a little, little baby at the time. And I started to think about these things because I had a finance degree. So I was, you know, trained to think about these things. And my brother came back to me after doing my financial plan. We put all the paperwork together and for an ADD, so for a kid like me, most of, most of you know, took him like a month for me to ever get my stuff together. And he came back to me, he goes, yeah, you know what, Tim? The good news is you've actually been a pretty decent saver as long as it comes out of your check into a 401k before you get it. So <laughs> that was that was something I've remembered forever as he started out the conversations. You're not doing too bad, actually, as long as it comes out of your check. And so out of now mind, out of mind, it's magical dude, for, for, for now. So I, I just had a conversation with my team last week and I had new people on a conversation that I had that I give them that speech about the 401k and how valuable it's become because I see how much now it's added to be from that advice you gave me of keep putting in that 401k, keep putting in investments and you'll be better off. So thank you very much for that. It always cracks everybody up and it's just so damn true, <laughs> but that putting into the for 401k is what allowed me to start realizing how can you save money without feeling it, live below your means, start putting it out of your sight and don't have to have everything right now. Like you said, I don't think it makes people happier. So, Amen. awesome. Appreciate your time, bro. It was nice to visit you since we haven't been able to hug for like 12 months now. It's so, coming. Uh, looking it's forward coming. to I'm, that day, brother. Here's I'm going to hug you twice every time I see you from now on to make up for oh, the last year. I'm world best hugger. That's what mom said. World <laughs> best. All right, guys. Thanks I love you, God. bro. Thanks a lot. <laughs>